Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. Welcome to Hill Country Bible Church. Glad that you're here if you're here in the room or watching online as well. All right, I'm going to begin today with a little question. I want you to ponder, I want you to think, when you think about your life, are you where you want to be? Like, are you happy or do you feel like something's got to change? Do you need maybe some external source to come in and, you know, rock your world, shake things up a little bit? Do you ever feel like maybe in your life you're just going through the motions? Like, I'm going through the motions in my job, going through the motions in my family, going through the motions in my relationships, going through the motions in my walk with God. See, if that describes you, you may need a jump start. You may need a fresh start. You may need the paddles put to your heart, okay, so you don't flatline for the rest of your life. And if I'm not describing you right now, take notes anyway, all right? There's a good chance that feeling might creep up on you one day. But if you can relate right now, I want to show you how following Jesus and his teachings can change everything. You know, Jesus calls us to be different. Honestly, Jesus calls us to the most audacious, radical, countercultural life you could ever imagine. But if you can pull it off, you'll live a better life than you ever dreamed possible. And so we're in the midst of this series that I'm calling Follow. And it's all about the fact that Jesus did not call us to simply believe in him, get forgiveness of our sins, and then wait around until we die and go to heaven one day. Okay? Jesus called us to follow, to do life with him, to be his disciple, which is a fancy term for a learner and a follower. But as I talked about last week, that takes a commitment on our part. That takes discipline on our part. That will cost us something. And at the end of the message last week, I made this statement. People don't grow into commitments. They grow by making commitments. Let me say that again. People don't grow into commitments. They grow by making commitments. And so I challenged all of us to pray about making a commitment to follow Jesus, to doing life with God. I also said that God promises that following Jesus really does lead to the best life possible, both here on earth and one day in heaven. Now, assuming you're willing to do that, over the next few weeks, I want to talk about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Like, what will it cost you? How do you stick with it? How do you overcome your old sin nature? That kind of stuff. And this week and next, I'm actually going to be borrowing some biblical wisdom from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paves this road for us of what you might call upside-down living. And by that, I mean that Jesus' ways are not our ways. They run contrary to the way we typically think. But they really do lead to the best life possible. And before we dive into some of these passages in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be kind of skimming across there. I want to give you a theological framework. I want to give you some context. I recognize that the Sermon on the Mount was originally delivered by Jesus to the Jewish people. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about life in the kingdom of God. And we know that's going to happen when Jesus reigns. He's going to come back to this earth. He's actually going to reign for a thousand years in what we call the millennial kingdom over the earth. 
And these principles have to do with that. So that's the primary application of the Sermon on the Mount. But I will say this, I believe Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount have secondary application to us as Christians because we ought to be following, we ought to be pursuing God's perfect standard. And that's what Jesus lays out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And speaking of that, that leads me to a second reason Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. It was because the Jews didn't understand that they weren't good enough. Okay, the Jewish people, the religious leaders, especially in Jesus' day, they thought they were all that in a bag of chips, okay? They thought, hey, I can make it to heaven. I don't need any help. I'm good enough. I'm following the law. And Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-uh. You need a savior. You need someone to die for your sins. You need someone to forgive you. And he's trying to get them to recognize that. In fact, he kind of keeps raising the bar to the point where he finally says, you guys, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Anybody here pulling that off? Can you raise your hand if you're perfect? I would really like to do lunch with you. (laughs) That would be awesome. See, we're not doing that, but they're actually thinking, yeah, I can pull this off. And Jesus is like, oh man, no, you can't. So that's the Sermon on the Mount context, okay? Kingdom living, kingdom of God, millennial kingdom, but it has secondary application to us. We should be striving for this. Not that we can do it in our own strength, but in God's strength, we should be striving for these standards. Now, having said all that, let me back up. Whether you're a believer or not, you've got to admit that Jesus was unique, right? He's one of a kind. Jesus is certainly the most revered person to have ever lived. I mean, he's studied in every culture. He's addressed in every major religion, even 2,000 years later. And I would say this, I've read a lot of self-help books and therapy books. Nearly every self-help guru out there just steals Jesus' material and kind of changes the language. That's about it. I mean, Jesus, man, he was a pioneer. He was attractive, winsome, magnetic, challenging, transformational. And something I've discovered over the years is that Jesus isn't weird, but some Christians are, okay? And and I found this, people outside the Christian faith, people who study Jesus, they don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with Christians. It's like this bumper sticker I ran across one day. It said, Jesus, please protect me from your followers. (laughs) Yeah. I got to think, I think every Christian who has bumper stickers should have one that says, don't blame Jesus for my driving. Uh, I'm an idiot. He's God. Okay, something like that. So today, as we explore, what does it look like to follow Jesus? We're going to begin back in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus lays out this incredible challenge to be different. All right, listen to this. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? That'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. All right, so Jesus uses two dynamic images here about how we're to influence the world, salt and light. Salt and light. And I don't know if you caught this or not, but Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Did you catch that? You are. He doesn't say you might be or you could be, or, or you should be, or in the 21st century, why don't you be a healthy salt alternative? No, 
He says, you are. That's you. You are the salt of the earth. Okay, why? Why would he call his audience salt? Well, no refrigeration back in that day. And so salt was used as a preservative. It was used to counteract decay in meat. And in order for salt to be effective, it's got to be salty. And in order for it to counteract decay in meat, it also has to be applied. So salty and applied. Now, if it's too salty, like some Christians I know, like nobody wants to eat their meat, right? And if it's not enough salt, the meat comes alive and eats you. So you don't want that either, right? And so salt isn't necessarily seen, but it's definitely sensed. You tracking? Salt, its effects are unmistakable, right? You can tell it's there. I mean, how many of you love salt? Raise your hand if you're a big salt lover, yeah. Raise your hand if you're ready to go out to lunch right now because you're drooling, that Pavlovian instinct, right? I love salt, so I put salt on my salt. That's how much I love salt. Jesus says, okay, you're the salt in the world around you. People can't see God, but they can sense him in you. You tracking? You're the salt. Then he says something a little bit similar with light. He says, you are the light of the world. While salt has an invisible nature to it, light is very visible. Salt is sense, light is seen. So Jesus says, when people look at you, they should sense God and see God. So don't lose your flavor and don't dim your light. Why? Why be salt and light? So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When people sense and see God's presence in you, they'll know there's a transformational aspect about your life that you didn't get on your own. There is something different about you. You know, I was thinking about this. If we at Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, were living out this salt and light principle, I mean, people would be looking at us like, whoa, what is it with you guys? Man, I mean, there's something I sense in seeing you. I can't put my finger on it. But where are you getting that? Like, what are you reading? What are you smoking? Because whatever it is, like, I want that. I want that in my life. And so Jesus, he lays out this foundational principle of being his follower. And it comes down to this. You are to be different. You're to be different. You are to counteract decay. You are to dispel darkness. And so it comes down to this. Living for Jesus, following Jesus, means living differently. Following Jesus is living differently. And then right after this, this is so cool, Jesus takes four little words And he uses these four words to turn everything upside down. He says, here's what you've heard before. Here's the status quo. But I tell you, but I tell you challenges the status quo. Six times in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, but I tell you, but I tell you, but I tell you. You've heard this, but I tell you, but I tell you, but I tell you. Over and over and over again, he takes those four little words. And we don't get all excited about that, but let me show you What a big deal that little phrase, but I tell you is. The first occurrence is in Matthew 5, 21, where Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. All right, so Jesus starts with status quo, cultural understanding. You've heard it said before, don't murder. By the way, that's still status quo today, isn't it? That still governs our society. We're not supposed to murder people, right? Okay, we get that right? Hurting people bad, killing people very bad. Doesn't look good on your resume. Potential employers don't like it. All right, we're we're with you, Jesus. We get that. 
Well, then, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you. Here it comes. He's going to flip everything upside down. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, we don't have time to give the whole context of this passage, but he's not just talking about an internal anger here. He's talking about an anger that is expressed, that kind of lashes out and hurts other people. How do I know that? Because he says after this, if you say this to your brother, or if you say that to your brother, okay, anger can be a natural response. Okay, there's a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. Jesus is talking about unrighteous anger that hurts other people. In fact, if you look up the word anger or wrath in the Bible, the subject of anger or wrath 90% of the time, guess who it is? It's God himself, okay? So there's a righteous anger. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about this anger that lashes out. He says, and you see what he does here? He's actually going a little bit deeper, isn't he? He starts with murder, and then he cuts a little bit deeper into the heart, casts a little bit wider net. You've heard it said before, do not murder. Well, most of his audience, most of us, we're not murderers. But we're murdering people potentially with our anger. Right? We're wounding relationships. We're even hurting ourselves. And so Jesus, he's going a little bit deeper. But I tell you, but I tell you, tracking? He's raising the bar. Let me give you one more of these six, and then you can read the rest on your own. And I'll warn you ahead of time, this one's kind of wild, all right? Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Status quo, right? Even today, 2,000 years later, adultery is frowned upon. Now, Jesus doesn't say, don't have sex ever, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Can I hear an amen, all right? Yes. God created sex. He invented it. Sex was not created by some caveman named Bob Fornication, all right? It was, it was God's idea. God's like, this is good. This is so awesome. This is great in the context of marriage. But sex outside of marriage, especially in the form of adultery, destroys people. It ruins lives. Kids' lives are messed up and ruined. People's lives are thrashed. I've seen it happen way, way too often. And just so you know, the Greek terms for adultery and sexual immorality include any kind of sexual activity outside of the bond of marriage, period. So don't buy into this cultural lie that says, well, you know, if two people love each other, it's okay. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what God says. And so Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But then he flips it upside down. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh Uh-oh, right? And he's not done yet. It gets a little more wild here. Brace yourself. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Awkward silence. I can hear a pin drop right now. If we took that teaching literally, gentlemen... (laughs) Nearly every guy in this place would be as blind as a bat. (laughs) Can we just acknowledge that? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Let's be honest. Let's be brutally honest. So what is Jesus? We better figure this out then, right? What is Jesus' point here? What's he doing? What's he going? Is he teaching us to destroy our bodies, to gouge out our eyeballs, to protect us from ogle and the hotties, right? Is that what he's doing? Is that his point? What is he doing? I'll tell you what Jesus is doing. 
He's drilling down. He's drilling down to where we really, truly live. He's backing it up a few steps, right? Where where does this start? Where does this adultery stuff start? So he's getting down to where you and I live, and he's saying, watch it. Watch it. Guard your heart. Guard yourself. Like, do whatever it takes, even drastic measures to protect your eyes and your mind from unhealthy fantasies that might ultimately destroy you and your relationships. Like, no more going to Hooters because you enjoy the delicious buffalo wings, right? Don't kid yourself, right? Uh Uh-uh. I believe, here's here's what I believe Jesus is saying. The damage that can result from this particular sin could be worse than you losing an eyeball. It really could. And I tell you what, from years and years of counseling, I could line this whole stage up with a multitude of testimonies of how lust and adultery and fantasy and pornography have wrecked relationships, destroyed families. It's not pretty. So Jesus says, you're the salt, you're the light. I'm calling you to be different. Here's what everybody else, you've heard what the world says, right? You've heard what the world says about sex and everything. Here's what I'm telling you. But I tell you. But I tell you. And he flips it upside down. Why? Because Jesus knows there's a better way to live. Following Jesus equals living different. And let me just say this. Jesus didn't come down to this earth to enhance our religious experience with a whole bunch of rules. No. He came to transform us, to change us from the inside out, to give us a new beginning, a fresh start. Jesus invites us on this rich journey. He says, come on, follow me. Yeah, it's going to be wild. It's going to be radical. But it's going to make your life so much more meaningful. And I'm telling you, you'll find a joy, and you'll find a peace, and you'll find a contentment that you never dreamed possible. Follow me. So you got to ask yourself, are you tired of living a mediocre Christian life? Because you can do that. You can put your faith in Jesus. Sins are forgiven. You'll go to heaven one day. But are you tired of just living a mediocre Christian life? Like status quo, I, I get it. It's comfortable. It's easy. It's safe. Doesn't take courage or risk or passion. But when you settle for status quo, your salt kind of loses its flavor your light becomes more and more dim. And my guess is if I was to sit down with coffee, over coffee with you guys and talk about your life, you'd probably say to me, yeah, Brian, I want something more. Like, I don't want to just take up space on this playground called earth and go to heaven one day. I want my life to matter. I don't want status quo. But if that's true, then you got to quit settling for it, right? And you'll probably need something to come in and, and shake things up, rattle your cage, a little bit. And so in your notes, I put a very simple question. This first question, can I really live this upside down life? Can I really follow the person and teachings of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer to that, the big picture answer is yes and no. (laughs) Yeah, you can do it, but not in your own power. You've got to have God's help. And I also believe you've got to start by answering some questions in your own life first. So I put these in your notes, and I want to encourage you, just think about these. Chew on these this week. We'll walk through them. First is the question of desire. Like, am I really drawn to something different? In your heart of hearts, do you really desire something more for your life? And by the way, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be under 10 or over 80 years old. 
Now, those of us in the older age brackets, we can slip into status quo a little more easily. But regardless of your age, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, do you really desire something more? Are you really drawn to something different? And let me just be honest with you. I would totally understand if you honestly said, no, not really. I mean, status quo, it's, it's safe, it's warm, it's comfortable. A major reason we don't commit to sell out for Jesus is because it can be a bit uncomfortable, especially at first. And most of us, if we're honest, we don't like change. But if in your gut you're thinking, you know what? I'd rather give up safe and warm and comfortable because I want my life to matter. Like I want something different for my life. I want something different for my future. That, my friends, is desire. And by the way, it's totally okay to be a little afraid in this process. Totally normal. You know why? Because following Jesus is not easy. Let's look at at the way Jesus himself put it. (laughs) Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like even Jesus says, my way is not easy. Salvation is easy. Forgiveness of your sins is easy. It's a free gift of God. Following Jesus, not easy. But I'll say this, the pathway always begins with desire. And think about this, the people who followed Jesus at first, did they have it all together? (laughs) Those of you who know this book right here, no. I thought about this. All they really had, they had a mustard seed of faith, but they had a whole lot of desire. So when Jesus said, follow me, they desired something different, and they walked in the footsteps of this rabbi. All it took was a little faith and a lot of desire. All right, the next question is a decision question. Am I really willing to forfeit my agenda? Now, this is not only a huge question. People, hear me on this. This is a daily question. Honestly, it's a cruddy question because I like my agenda, right? I really do. I like the things I've mapped out for my life. I like my dreams. I like my plans. You probably like your agenda too. But if you really sit down and think about your agenda, most of the time it's driven by self, by selfishness. And that doesn't gonna, that's not going to get you what you really want. That doesn't lead to what you truly desire. You think it will. And God's saying, no, 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 it won't. But when you and I forfeit our agenda, what happens? Well, we find strength and we find rewards in the power of God. And ultimately, here's the irony of it all. We end up getting what we truly wanted in the first place. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 6, 33. But more than anything else, more than father, mother, son, daughter, more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Some versions say, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. Hmm, interesting. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, the question is this, whose agenda are you going to live for? My agenda, God's agenda. Say, what does this look like in real life? Well, in real life, God says, I want you to serve other people. What's your agenda? I want other people to serve me. God says, I want you to forgive that person over there. You know, the one 
that hurt you, the one that you had that grudge against, I want you to forgive that person. Your agenda is, how am I going to get that guy back, right? Who wins? God says, I want you to hold your resources, your money, your possessions with a loose grip so it can bless other people. Your agenda is, man, I want to enjoy material things. I want to consume, compile, right? Just be safe. Who wins? Basically, the decision is, am I willing to obey the person and teachings of Jesus and go this way, or do I want to pave my own path? Do I want to go my own way? And people, once you go that way, honestly, here's the way it typically happens. You start going that way, and then life kind of throws you a bunch of stuff, drops you off at a dead end, and you're like, oh, well, that didn't really work. And for a lot of people, they go, well, God's way doesn't work. They kind of blame it on God. And honestly, a lot of the pain and heartache I've seen in people's lives is a result of them choosing to go their way rather than God's way. I've created some of that. Not all the time, but they create that. So here's a formula. We're going to talk about it some today. We're talking about it. We're going to talk about it again next week. Here's a formula for you. When you take desire and you add to that decisions to follow Jesus, the end result is devotion. Here's your formula. Desire plus decisions equals devotion. And some of you, you've used that formula outside of Jesus, right? You desire certain things, and then you make decisions that support that desire, and you end up being devoted to a cause, to a career, to whatever. For me, Brian Threlkeld, I want to be devoted to Jesus, not to religion, not to Christianity. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do life with God. Why? Because whether I think it up here or not, I know God's way is best. That's the best life possible. And so I want that for you as well. Why? Because it's devotion that makes people come alive. Think about it. When you find someone who's devoted to something, aren't they so passionate? You can just see it in them, whatever they love to do. It's devotion that makes people come alive. It's devotion to Jesus that shatters the status quo. It's devotion to Jesus that helps people be real agents of change in this world. It's devotion to Jesus that gives your life meaning and helps you experience joy and peace and contentment in the midst of a crazy, unstable world and economy. It's devotion to Jesus that becomes the foundation of your life. That's how Jesus describes it, as a strong foundation. Check this out. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, you might circle rain there, and the floodwaters rise, circle floodwaters, and the winds beat against that house, circle winds, rain, floodwaters, winds, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, I had you circle those words because I want to translate this for the 21st century. I ran across a modern-day interpretation of this passage. I like this. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise like a person who built a house on solid rock. Though the difficulties come in torrents and unemployment rises and fears beat against that life, it won't collapse because it is built on rock. 
But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the difficulties and unemployment come and the fears beat against that life, it will fall with a mighty crash. So you either obey or ignore. Like obey and you're building your life on this rock solid foundation. Ignore, eh, you're in danger of a collapse. So which do you want? You know what I love about God? He, he gives us a choice, right? So you've got to think this week, like this upside down living, following Jesus, it's an adventure. <laughs> do you want to be a part of it? If so, then buckle up, okay? Get ready for a wild ride. But the good news is, if you do go for it, you won't be sitting alone. Like you'll be sitting right next to Jesus. You'll be doing life with God. So as we enter into a time of prayer in just a second here, I want to challenge you to think about, to pray about where are you in your spiritual journey and what would it look like to take a next step? Now, maybe for some of you, it's that first step. Maybe you're here and you just need to have a mustard seed of faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. Say, Jesus, I mean, I need to believe in you. I need to believe in you for forgiveness and eternal life and receive that gift. But maybe for you, it's moving beyond complacency. Like me, moving from being a stagnant Christian to being an active, obedient follower of Jesus. But wherever you are in your spiritual journey, let me just challenge you to take a next step. Let's pray. If you're here this morning or watching online and you're not certain that you have that relationship with Jesus. You've never come to the point where you've acknowledged, I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from a perfect, holy God. Jesus, I need you to forgive me and give me eternal life. It's as simple as that, just reaching out to him by faith, believing that he is the one, the only one who can forgive your sins and give you that free pass into heaven one day. So in the quietness of your heart, just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. And I thank you for forgiving me and giving me eternal life. And then from there, it moves from that free gift to the, a, a life, a lifelong commitment of, of following. And it's challenging. And we're going to stumble. We acknowledge, God, we acknowledge to you that we can't do this. And it starts with desire. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would have that desire, that passion to follow you. And maybe they don't right now. And, and you could even through your Holy Spirit stir that up in them and show them that that's the best desire they could possibly have. And maybe you're here this morning and man, I've got the desire, but I keep stumbling. I just can't do it. Now you need to lean on God. And every morning, make that decision. I'm going to live my life your way. I'm going to do life with Jesus today. And as we combine that desire with those decisions, then devotion begins in our lives. And that's when it gets exciting. Because a life of devotion to Jesus, there is no better life here on earth. And certainly the rewards in heaven will be enormous. So God, we acknowledge that apart from your Holy Spirit doing these things, we cannot do them. But with your Holy Spirit, all things are possible. 
So we turn to you, we look to you, we cry out to you, and we ask you to help us in this process. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now you guys have a wonderful week in the Lord.